What do you do on Sundays? We talk about Kate Blanchett, the acting, the costumes, the awards, but mostly the Blanchett of it all. Oh, oh. I'm not acting. <laughs> you think this is a love affair? I saw you, Erica. Meeting in the middle. This is Sundays with Kate, and I'm your host, Murtada El Fadl. Welcome to Sundays with Kate, our podcast series about the films of Kate Blanchett. This is your host, Murtada El Fadl, and today we're talking about Sor Ragnarok, and my guest is writer and critic Joy Childs. Yay! <laughs> I'm very excited. I'm excited, too, to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on to talk about Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. You guys, you've had great guests in the past, so I'm, like, very excited to be included in that number. So I am very excited. The excitement is mutual. And I wanted to, we want to talk about Thor. Um, so Kate is known for doing these villain roles in, in big studio movies. She did Cinderella. She did... Um, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And then she did Soar. So to supplement, I guess, her theater work and her art movies, she does these big movies where she plays villains. And this was the latest one that she did in 2017. So Thor Ragnarok is from IMDb about Thor, obviously, who was imprisoned on the planet and he must race against time to return to Asgard and stop Ragnarok, the destruction of his world at the hands of the powerful and ruthless villain Hela. So let me ask you first, Joy, as a reader of comics, are you familiar and did you know Hela before the movie? I knew of Hela. I will be candid in saying that Thor is not my most favorite comic book character from the Marvel franchise, personally. Um, I did read the Jane Foster Thor run, um, a bit of it, uh, mm -hmm. and really enjoyed it. For those who aren't aware, there was a, not an alternate universe, but a part of the all new, you know, all different Marvel series back when Axel Alonso, if I'm remembering correctly, was editor in chief. They did a lot of different new characters, assuming the mantle of, you know, uh, traditional characters. So you had Riri, you know, uh, uh, being Ironheart being the new Iron Man, you obviously had Sam Wilson taking the mantle of Captain America and you had Jane Foster as the new Thor. Uh -huh. And so her storyline was that she actually was suffering from cancer. And when she assumed the power of uh, Mjolnir, which is the hammer, mm -hmm. uh, she was able to summon those powers and she would be essentially healthy. Um, at the time that she was Thor. So actually the fourth Thor, it seems, I don't know if they're going to have, there's, there's debates on whether or not they're going to have the cancer storyline in it, but Natalie Portman is coming back in the fourth Thor that will be written, directed by Taika Waititi, Thor Love and Thunder, and she will be playing uh, Jane Foster as Thor. So loosely based on that comic book series. Oh, cool. I wonder if Hela will be coming back. Maybe not. Um, maybe, maybe not. I mean, like when Ragnarok happened in the movie, like I, we're jumping a little bit, but like when Ragnarok happened in the movie, it seemed like it was very definitive that she was dead. Yeah. But you never know. They bring back Loki everywhere and every time. So like, why not? Yeah, I think that's a Marvel staple. People come back from the dead. Pretty much. So Hela is the Asgardian goddess of death. And she also happened to be the first Marvel Cinematic Universe major female villain. So that was a milestone, I think, when this movie was released about two and a half years ago. 
Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Like, I think the right they picked the right person with with Kate. You mentioned it in the intro on she has a she's very good. She's very good as an actress, period. But she has a good penchant for playing, you know, villains. I just think it's her commitment to her craft and her commitment to the roles, no matter how crazy or ridiculous. And I appreciated that and seeing that on screen. I was very excited when it was announced that she was going to be playing Hela. Because originally in the comics, Hela is not actually a sibling of Thor and Loki. She's actually the daughter of Loki. And so I thought it was really interesting that they made them siblings and uh, deviated from the original the original kind of like comic lore. Yeah. But I, I ended up liking what they did with it. And I thought it was interesting. And they did give her the Loki look. So the dark hair, very black, and the smoky eyes. So she doesn't really, Kate doesn't look like Tom Hiddleston, but they have the same hairdresser, I guess. Yeah, oh, definitely. <laughs> you know, the dark, that pit, that like jet black 1B hair that she had was not my favorite thing personally. I don't think it looked good on her. It's just not, it doesn't fit her personality. Mm -hmm. But I think she pulled it off for the sake of the character. So I'm going to ask you first, just general impression on marvel films where do you think thor ragnarok sort of stacks within the marvel universe okay so i'm a big marvel fan if anybody who knows me personally or sees me tweet on twitter i am a big marvel cinematic universe fan i've seen all the films which is why so you are on this podcast you're the expert <laughs> <laughs> thank you um uh, but yeah i'm i i'm a big marvel fan uh i've been watching the film since 2008 i vividly remember my dad taking me to see the first Iron Man when I was like 16, 17 years old. So it's been a part of my life. It's been a part of my growing up, literally. So very, very excited. Um, I, so we've had 23 films in total in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, if I'm 23 or 22. I would say this one is, uh, I'd say this is in my, this is in my, my top 10. Um, I will say by, by a long shot, this is the best Thor film. Like, it's not a debate. It is definitely the best Thor film. The first Thor films, if you guys are familiar with, the first one was kind of like a part of the original. You know, Thor was one of the original Avengers when, in terms of the setting up of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm -hmm. And so they obviously had, he was like their third, if I'm remembering correctly, their third solo kind of like trilogy. So obviously Iron Man, you had Captain America, and then Thor had his. The first one was very Shakespearean. And a little bit of like fish out of water story of a Norse god being put into like American modern, you know, time frame, you know, mm -hmm. hilarity ensues. Uh, I think there are <laughs> things that work well with it, things that did not work well with it. The dyed eyebrows, God bless Chris Hemsworth, that he had to be subjected to is still an iconic in a bad way look for him. We then move on to the Avengers where Thor as a character was definitely a heady heavy hitter in terms of his strength, but like not necessarily one that necessarily stood out. He had a very serious, serious demeanor towards him, uh, a bit of haughtiness to him. You know, I am, you know, holier than thou because he is a god. Yeah. Um, and so he worked well with the team. It, he did not necessarily stand out as a character. Then you get into Thor 2, Thor of the Dark World, which is a terrible film. Oh, the it's, I've seen that. It's so boring. It's not great. It's definitely like my least favorite Marvel film of all time, probably. Like it just, it's my bottom. I think for the purpose of like introducing that Infinity Stone, great. 
everything else you can throw in the trash. The relationship between Thor and Loki is strong in this film. But other than that, man, poor Natalie Portman. She just could not catch a break in terms of getting, you know, proper character development and really having something to do as as Jane, Jane Foster. Yeah, I mean, and, she, she quit after that one. Yeah, she was like, I'm done. I got to <laughs> I got to get out of it. And funny enough, like, so a fun fact, the second Thor film was actually supposed to be, like, she actually uh, campaigned hard for the second Thor film to be directed by Patty Jenkins. For those who are on listening to the podcast who are not familiar, Patty Jenkins has directed the Wonder Woman solo film, the second one, 1984, which will be coming out soon. So she campaigned hard. I think they were very close to nearing the deal. And then it didn't work. It didn't pan out. So I think that there's just a level of bitterness, understandable bitterness in terms of that character and her getting a female director like behind the camera uh, you know behind the the screen to really like lean and man the ship but obviously baddies worked out well for herself you know natalie portman has a, her own story career so like everybody's happy um, yeah but it's not until you get into thor ragnarok that you you get into the reins of now oscar winning taiko watiti let's talk a little bit about hella so hella is introduced 20 minutes into the film so kate fans i'm sorry you have to wait a little bit and she appears when Odin dies. I mean, he dies because Loki did something wrong, right? But anyway, whatever Loki did frees Hela from this prison that she's been in for millennia. And she comes out and meets her brothers, um, Thor and Loki, and immediately destroys Thor's hammer. So it's, it is kind of a big impact introduction. It's a star intro. Kate Blanchett is a star. Hela is a major character. She's the villain. So she gets the star treatment. Absolutely. That breaking of the hammer is like super important to that story, right? Mm -hmm. Because Thor has to learn how to be resourceful without literally his major weapon. Like, So he's gone. It's a shame I would have liked to have seen that. You must be Hela. I'm Thor, son of Odin. Really? You don't look like him. Perhaps we can come to an arrangement. You sound like him. Neil. Beg your pardon. Neil. Before your queen. I don't think so. powerful but like he throughout the film it's about him not only through you know brotherhood and adventure and in comedy and like humor and all that fun stuff but like throughout the film like you know thor is dealing with a lot of loss like he's lost many people of his life like he thought he lost his brother until you know the first 30 20 minutes of the film mm -hmm. right yeah you know he lost he loses his father in the film, right? Yeah. He's lost his he's lost his love in terms of Jane not being in his life anymore. So all of these moments of loss that he's experiencing, he now must like go and and find out in in a way like a self fulfilling like quest of who he is. And the first thing you do with that is what do you do? You get a, you take away the one thing that gives him a sense of comfort. Oh, also mm -hmm. lost his mother in the last film. How can yeah. I do that? Yeah. And so. 
all this moments of loss and you it's it's exasperated like his his feeling of loss and guilt and grieving is exacerbated in Infinity War and Endgame to the max, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah. you start to see the 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 showings of him cracking under pressure and him trying to, you know, move on. And so what do you do when someone needs to go on an adventure of self journey and, and to know how strong they are without their crutch? You get rid of the thing that is the crutch, and so you get rid of the hammer. And yeah. so have, having Kate remove that, breaking that, it's so powerful um, and really sets the tone of the film. Yeah, and it's such a good scene. You know, you you don't expect, because the Thor hammer is such a big thing in the mythology. And so for it to be destroyed within the first half hour of the movie and destroyed by this new character that's being introduced into the universe just tells you she's formidable. Which sort of begs the question, the media has kind of said that Marvel has a villain problem for the longest time. But then in the last few years, they introduced Hela, they introduced Thanos, they introduced Killmonger. So do you think that they've solved their um, villain problem or maybe they never had one? So I will say this. I think in the phase, like early Marvel films, phase one and phase two, I would say that the villains were forgettable. I think in the most recent phase with Killmonger, Hela, with Thanos, obviously, characters like that, these are definitely more memorable villains. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you know, Feige has been on record saying that like the villains are the reason why like a lot of the villains die or uh, what contributes to a lot of villains dying is the stories are not about them. It's about the heroes. Yeah. And I think that that is a fair assessment. Right. So though we love Hela and Kate is a badass in this film, like the film is ultimately about Thor yeah. and Thor's journey. And so, you know, at the end, it's going to be hopefully something that wraps around you know, a arc for him and how he grows as a character. And he does. He turns kingly. He becomes the king that he's supposed to be. Do I think they have much better villains than prior phases? Yes. Do, like, is does it suck sometimes, like, good villains don't get to live beyond Loki? Sure. I would say that. So this actually brings us to my main problem with Hela in this movie in that she gets this amazing, fantastic introduction. She's the goddess of death. She's stronger than everyone. She's, you know, just all consuming, smashes the hammer. Her power is all encompassing. And then she gets sidelined into a completely other movie with Keith Urban as her lackey. And we don't get to see her interact with any of the main cast until the fi- she gets one scene with Thor and then the final sort of battle. And that's it, which is, was my main problem. I'm like, if, he, if she's this powerful, why isn't she in more of the story? And then I think maybe Taika was more interested in the body comedy between uh, Mark Ruffalo and Chris Hemsworth. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's really what it is. Like once they leave, like once they leave Asgard and they move on to, you know, getting kidnapped, the Taskmaster, Grand Royale, him running into to uh, Hulk, him being introduced to Valkyrie that way, all those things. Right. Like that, that takes up the story. Right. Mm -hmm. And you don't really get interaction with, with Helen until they return back to Asgard to to battle her 
finally more well equipped because now you know he feels like he has what he needs. So he feels like the power is within him. She, he's able to fight her correctly. You have thunder coming through his body. It's like, oh, okay, shit. Like, you are now the Thor that we thought you were, right? Yeah. And so all those are great. It makes for a great fight scene. You get some great moments. But I can definitely see and understand the, the criticism of, like, Hela is such a interesting character, and Kate very much commits to it. And so to get sidelined with with uh, uh, Carl Urban, it's like, eh. Yeah, it's not that exciting. <laughs> But yeah, she gets that. she gets a great intro. Like that first scene is great, and then she gets one more scene with Chris Hemsworth's Thor in is it the throne room where they sort of fight and yeah. they try to one up each other with catchphrases and one liners and power. And that that's like a fun scene. And I would have liked to. I mean, they are antagonists, so it's not like the the buddy comedy can be Hela and Thor. But I would just have liked to see maybe. Instead of just one scene between them or two scenes, maybe like five scenes, something like that. Sister. You're still alive. I love what you've done with the place. Redecorating, I see. It seems our father's solution to every problem was to cover it up. Or to cast it out. He told you you were worthy. He said the same thing to me. You see... You never knew him. Not at his best. Odin and I drowned entire civilizations in blood and tears. Where do you think all this gold came from? And then, one day, he decided to become a benevolent king. To foster peace, to protect life. To have you. I understand why you're angry and why my sister and technically have a claim to the throne. Believe me, I would love for someone else to rule, but it can't be you. You're just... the worst. Okay, get up. You're in my seat. Your father once told me that a wise king never seeks out war. But must always be ready for it. To be honest, I expected more. Here's the difference between us. I'm Odin's firstborn, the rightful heir, the savior of Asgard. And you're nothing. So simple. Even a blind man could see it. Now you remind me of Dad. I will say, like, if you did a body count count of people who have been killed on screen that are villains in the MCU, mm-hmm. Hela is right under Thanos. She killed a lot of people in that in that film. She did. She's ruthless. <laughs> she is like. Thanos killed a lot of folks, and to be fair, like, this is across multiple multiple films <laughs> for him. But, like, Hela is definitely the se- the second most, like, bloodthirsty villain yeah. in the MCU. So I want to ask you something. So I don't follow Marvel as closely, and I don't know as much. But I remember, because I follow Kate after Thor was released or Ragnarok was released, there was a lot of chatter online that something about her and Thanos meeting in the Avengers and people were going, oh yeah, Hela's going to come back. Is there something in the comics about Hela and Thanos? Yeah, so this version of Hela is the goddess of death. So in the comics, the reason why Thanos is trying to get rid of half half the world and destroy half the world and do the, the snap to make the half the world disappear is because he is trying to court death, the goddess of death, because he's in love with her. And so that's why now this version of Hela is different, 
where, uh, like, again, based on the comics, her recreation of Hela is is separate from the goddess of death, and she is the daughter of Loki. Mm, and okay. so the fact that they combined the two, people were assuming, like, there is a chance that if they make the storyline, the 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 reasoning for Thanos's bloodthirstiness to rid of half the world is because he's trying to court death and he's in love with death and he's essentially trying to impress her. Then Hela must come back. They obviously changed the storyline up in in infinity war and Endgame, where that is not his motivations for ridding half the world is more so of making the world infinitely balanced, perfectly balanced. So they don't use the motivation from the comics. Oh, got it. Let's talk a little bit about Hela's look. So one of my, favorite things in this is her look like the skin tight jumpsuit which the detail that i really loved about that was the bare shoulders kiss and then the walk because kate has this distinctive walk as hella and i think that the bare shoulders are accentuated even more by the way she walks and even though i i'm like you i wasn't a huge fan of the smoky eye makeup but i really love the jumpsuit and the bare shoulders so the jumpsuit and the helmet are just so damn near comic accurate. Like they they really nail the look of Hella with the with the horns. Gorgeous, very well done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Kate again because she commits to the role, like leans into it. There's like a she's very um, sinewy in terms of how she walks. It's very snake like. Yeah. And I think it works for the green as she's going with. It's a bit of a slithering movement that she does. You know, very sensual in nature, but not like super so. Like it's a nice balance of sensual, slithering, commanding, powerful. She just works. She nails it. I think, and I think the the look uh, helps accentuate that. Yeah, I mean, I love when she's she's walking and then she throws her hand forward, and the swords come out of it. Are they swords? Whatever they come out of their hands, you know, some chopping things. <laughs> oh so yeah, fun. like daggers, whatever those are. Yeah. But like. Fantastic too. I also I also thought it was it might have been a little tip of the hat. This was my thinking was like when I first saw it in in theaters, I thought it might have been a little tip of the hat to her comic book origins of her being the daughter of Loki because Loki has a scene in the film where he has both daggers come out of his hands. Oh. In the final fight scene, so I was like I don't know if that's a little tip of the hat to the fact that he's done that before. Um, that might just me be me looking way too deeply into it, but I did love that that movement of just like power, and it's just a stance, and then you have these weapons that will kill you coming out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, she's fun, and and she's she's always a full body performance. Like she acts with her whole body, and you really see it in this film. Like she, to your point, she committed to this, and you know every walk, every look, just. It, it's so much fun to watch her, um, which is why I wanted to watch her with more than just Carl Urban in Asgard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, there's 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 a lot of ground that you got to cover in these films, but I think fair enough. Like, there's she's just you want to watch. You yeah. just want to like watch and and like see her move. Yeah, I wanted also to ask you about Taika Waititi and and his irreverent tone and and what he brought to Thor. But this was my like my favorite thing about this movie is the sort of tongue-in-cheek tone of it. Taika had, you know, very well known for films like The Boy, very well known for films like What We Do in the Shadows. He is very particular in his vision. And by particular, I mean he is 
ridiculous. Mm. And he tr- he really punches up the humor and the color mm-hmm. in this in in this world. Like this is Jack Kirby art on a screen. And you not only get his comedy, his vision, his color, really paying homage to the Kirby era of Thor films that look and feel like an acid trip when you're seeing them on a comic book page. But on top of that, you also get certain nods and tips of the hat to his heritage of him um, being Maori, being of indigenous uh, uh, ethnicity. And so all those things blend into this wonderful medley of someone who understands Thor the character and really takes it into a lighthearted way. That energy and that presence that he creates in Thor Ragnarok now carries on into Endgame, now carries on into uh, Infinity War, and we get to see Thor be the Thor that we always knew he could be. Yes. And so you think that Taika was very influential to Marvel? Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, you know, for, for, for many, many reasons, like, that was, he was, if, if, if I'm remembering correctly, and, and y'all drag me if I'm wrong, first of all, <laughs> Taika, was, Taika was the first person of color to ever direct a Marvel film. Because, and that, I think that tracks, because uh, Black Panther didn't come out till 18, 2018. Yeah, and right so, after this. It was the one after, wasn't it? Yes. So Black Panther didn't come out till 2018. So in February. So if that's the case, then Taika was the first person of color to ever direct a Marvel film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is a big deal, right? Yeah. But, you know, when you think about the new direction and the vision and the future of what Marvel could be, you know, phase four and beyond, um, that's Taika. That's, you know, that's Ryan Coogler. That's directors like that who have a specific vision for these universes and, you know, really take it and run with it. And they do it in their own voice. You know, he also is a great fun fact. He is also the first director to break the the trilogy curse where, you know, Thor had three films. Oh. Iron Man had three films. Captain America had three films. But Thor is now getting a fourth film in Love and Thunder. And they have not had a solo film following one of the MCU characters get beyond four, uh, get beyond three films. Wow. So, Wait. Which is funny because Thor has always been like the Thor movies have always been kind of the B movies or even C movies until Thor Ragnarok. Exactly. So the fact that they are really doing a makeup because I think they recognize that they underutilize Thor for many years since like, oh, 2011, 2012 is when the Thor movie mm-hmm. came out, I think. Yeah. And so the first Thor movie. So they underutilized him. And the fact that this character has now outlasted all the other trilogy, you know, characters, like at the end of, and this is not a spoiler, this film has been out over a year. Y'all can't, you know, keep up with it. But like <laughs> at the end of Endgame. Two years, two and a half. Yeah, two, like y'all. <laughs> at the end of Endgame, Tony Stark is dead. Captain America has gone back in time and he is now old man. But the original three of like the three powerful, like leader figure heads of the Avengers the only one left who is now, you know, on a ship going to go to new adventures is Thor. Yeah. And he and with him and taking and staying on that ship with the Guardians of the Galaxy, he is now going off to lead like a new arm of the MCU in the space, you know, dimension. And it's rightfully so because, you know, Asgard was our first real introduction to space 
in the MCU, but it wasn't utilized well. And so it gave James Gunn the opportunity to really co-opt that and craft that for Guardians of the Galaxy. But the space space area and space section of the MCU has mm-hmm. always been Thor. That should be Thor's to lead. Yeah. So now that you have him back in his rightful place, getting the respect that he deserves, utilizing him in the right ways in films, now it's time for him to really like lean into the space odyssey aspect that we don't we didn't necessarily get until we got to Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. And yeah, Steka is in it too, voicing one of the characters. And and then we have the buddy comedy between Thor and the Hulk. And then, you know, somebody we haven't talked about yet is Tessa Thompson as Valkyrie, who also, it's very funny. And so they're all, it's as if this is the Marvel comedy. Do you, do you think that, that you can call it that? Oh, uh, yeah, I think. You know what? I wouldn't even say that it's a Marvel comedy. I just think it's a Taika comedy. Like, I just think it just fits his tone of voice uh, Mm -hmm. very acutely. Like, I think a common feedback point that somebody is a lot of people were saying was that there's some folks that really enjoyed it and like really loved it. And then there are some people who felt a little bit like it was trying to co-opt a lot of the humor from the Guardians of the Galaxy. I disagree with that. I think that Guardians and Thor Ragnarok have different humor because it's different people writing it. Mm. I think Taika's humor is so specific to Taika that I, while you know these are two two franchise properties that are based in space, I think there is a difference in tone. Yeah, and I think this is the funniest one. I love the character that Taika and remind me what his name is. That ca- that Taika. Cork. Yes, he's so funny. <laughs> He's so cool. He's so cute. It's hilarious. But if there is one performance that's memorable, Kate is great and I love her. But if there is one performance that's really memorable and one character that really sort of stands out, I think it's Valkyrie. What are your thoughts on Valkyrie? I think Valkyrie is a fantastic character. I love that we have someone who is within the broader queer community playing a canonically queer character mm-hmm. that is very true valkyrie is canonically bisexual in the but comic not really in the movie right not really in the movie but in the comic <laughs> she is the character is canonically bisexual so it's yeah. like yo queer character being played by a queer person fucking awesome love it Absolutely. i'm hoping in in, in in love and thunder i hope that they do get to be a little bit more open with her her queerness and getting to expose that. Tessa has said at San Diego Comic-Con last year that now that, spoiler alert, uh, Valkyrie is now the king of Asgard. She is now looking for her queen. So I don't know if that was just a little like wink, wink, nudge, nudge, or they will actually have some type of storyline in Love and Thunder where she is, you know, dating or on the prowl dating other women. I it, I would be very happy. What did you think of her chemistry with Chris Hemsworth? I think it worked. Like, I think a lot of people thought it was sexual chemistry. I didn't get that from them at all. Yeah, it kind me of neither. Weird. I did not get that energy at all. I kind of, it gave, they just gave me like bro energy. Like, oh, you're, we're both good looking people. And we're just out here being, you know, you know, very extremely powerful folks. I don't think Tessa and... Chris Hemsworth have romantic energy. I also didn't think they had romantic chemistry in Men in Black either, to be honest. <laughs> I didn't see that, so I can't comment. <laughs> yeah, like Men in Black, like Men in Black uh, International, they, I think. Is the... Were they lovers in that? 
No, but they tried to do like a little nod at the end that they were uh, kind of like flirting with each other, and I was like, "This is not working out, y'all." <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't. It didn't work out for me. Yeah, <laughs> I I agree with you. In Thor Ragnarok, they are more bros, like they're drink buddies or something like that, you know. Or I think the main buddy story here is Thor and Hulk, and you know, I I love Mark Ruffalo. He's one of my favorite actors, and I kind of loved that. I thought maybe. Because Mark Ruffalo is one of those people who are so magnetic on screen, just like Kate. And I thought that maybe Chris Hemsworth, who he's gorgeous, but I don't think he's as magnetic on screen as Mark Ruffalo. But I think together he elevated Chris Hemsworth's performance. And I thought it, it popped in this film more than it usually does. Yeah, I would say... You know, Chris Hemsworth is very interesting in terms of the Chris's because I don't think... I would say out of what is deemed like the three holy uh, three four holy trinities of the chrises i think probably hemsworth is maybe the weakest actor so who are these three tell us it should be like five in my opinion so it should be in the marvel cinematic universe it's chris evans chris hemsworth chris pratt chris evans plays captain america chris hemsworth obviously plays thor chris Pratt plays star lord aka peter quill and guardians of the galaxy it should be five chrises because you also have to include chris pine and my favorite chris chris messina so mine too uh, love messina. <laughs> <laughs> love messina so fellow messina fan love it but in for the sake of this conversation the three chrises are the ones within the mcu i think he's the the weakest actor of the three if you ask me mm-hmm, yeah um and i will say like his films outside of thor don't really aren't really engaging to me to at all Never. the only time he's yeah. ever I think his best acting role outside of Thor, in my opinion, is Bad Times at the El Royale. Have you seen that film? I have, yeah. He's all right yeah. in that. But again, yeah. you know, you don't leave with him as the mem- the memorable performance in it. No, but like he does he does do a surprisingly good job as a cult yeah. leader. I don't know how else to describe it, but like I thought that, that was a, a pleasant turn for him. Let, we'll see how he does in the future, like post-Thor, because he, he's not going to be playing Thor forever. I think his time in that role has an expiration date just like Robert Downey Jr. did and Chris Evans did. Yeah. Chris Hemsworth always tries to be funny like he was in Ghostbusters. He was in other movies where he was trying to be funny. And this always reminds me of that Billy Eichner joke about Kate, actually. He had a joke where he would run around and ask people about Kate Blanchett and he'll be like, is she good or is she tall? And my question is about Chris Hemsworth is that, is he funny or is he just hot? Because people are always trying to tell me, oh, he's so funny. And I'm like, no, maybe he's just hot. You like looking at him. So I actually do think that he has very good comedic timing. I will say that I do think people are pleasantly surprised by his comedic timing because he's hot. Yeah. Yes. Maybe that that's what it is. Yes. Yes. So you're like, you're so good looking and you're funny too. Like, how did you strike, you know, strike gold with this? But no, he act. I do think that funny enough, I do think that he has really great comedic timing. I think comedy is actually his strong suit. Like Mm -hmm. if he wanted to do comedy strictly in the comedy genre after playing Thor and he hold, you know, he, you know, hangs up his hammer. I think he'd do really well in it. He's actually talented in the, in, in, in a comedic space, weirdly enough. Yeah, so I guess maybe he just needs the right script and the right director who can hone those funny chops. Yep, and I think Taika is one that I think really realized that because 
I think Ghostbusters, he's really good. MIB, though, the I, you know, I was very lukewarm on the film. I still think he's funny in the film. But like, you know, films like Thor Ragnarok, you get to people. Are, people walked out of that film saying a lot of great things about a lot of different people. But there are a lot of people who did walk out of that film and be like, "Yo, Chris Hemsworth is funny." <laughs> Yeah, he always gets that. It's always a surprise to people, even though he has made a few comedies now. So, but it's not com it's comedies that nobody really saw. Like that's, that's true. the thing. Like not a lot. Like the like seeing people a Thor film on a global scale. Like people walked out. I even I walked out. I was like, shit, he's funny, huh? <laughs> you are listening to Sundays with Kate, the podcast series about the films of Kate Blanchett. Don't miss the three-part miniseries about her Oscar-winning performance in Blue Jasmine. Three episodes, three guests, three perspectives. In part one, we discuss Kate Blanchett as the real auteur of Blue Jasmine and the many ways her performance makes her the author of the film. In part two, we talk about the similarities to Tennessee Williams, a streetcar named Desire, the character of Blanche Dubois, clearly the blueprint for Jasmine, the many actresses who played Blanche or were inspired by her, from the women in Pedro Almodovar's movies to Jenna Rollins in Woman Under the Influence to most recently Carrie Mulligan in Wildlife. And in the third and final part, we discuss Jasmine and her sisters, Annie Hall, Helen St. Clair in Bullets Over Broadway, Maria Elena in Vicky Cristina Barcelona, and Cecilia in The Purple Rose of Cairo, among others. All these episodes are now available wherever you listen to podcasts or at sundayswithkate.com. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate and review. Now back to Sundays with Kate. So I talked earlier, if we go back talking about Kate Blanchett, I talked earlier a little bit about how Kate always plays villains in these big studio movies. So she has played villains, not just in Thor Ragnarok, but in Indiana Jones and the kind of the Crystal Skull and in Cinderella. And these are sort of three different villains, but in all these movies, she leans into the camp a lot. Like you see in these movies, she has a certain look, whether it is the smoky eyes here or the severe black bob in Indiana Jones or the red hair and the Joan Crawford shoulders in Cinderella. So it's a collaboration between her and the makeup artist and the costume designer to come up with these characters. And then she leans into it also with the body movement. So in Indiana Jones, her body was sort of very chopped movements. It was somebody who was very severe and the accent was also very severe and chopped. Here she has, I think it's a British accent, but the movement is fluid, but also very noticeable. I'm like entrapped by, you know, when I see her trying to create these characters. And so I wanted to ask you, which of these do you think is your favorite or which one do you think was the most successful as a villain? Mm, that's a good question. Damn, I don't know. I'm going to say for the, for the sake of the conversation, since we've been talking about it a lot, and I, I would have to rewatch the other two because it's been a yeah. while. Hella, I think, when it comes to the campiness, I think what Kate does well is, we've been saying this, you know, 
consistently through this episode, she just leans into the role. Like, it's not just her saying the lines. The way her body contorts to make these movements, the accents that she does, mm-hmm. her walk, her stride. Like, she she does all of that to help assist, obviously, like, the great hair and makeup and the great, you know, the great hair and makeup team for Indiana Jones and Cinderella and, of course, for, for Thor. But she leans into the role. So I what I loved about Hela was Kate being of a certain age, getting to play that type of character is a big deal, right? Because... Yeah. She, she is an older woman and to be able to have that opportunity to play ball and play a villain who is fully invested in the, in in her sensuality and her movements and her bloodthirstiness i think that's probably why i like that role the best yeah and it's also like she's very fun in cinderella but also in cinderella she's the stepmom so she's already defined by her relationship to cinderella and to to her daughters and here she is sort of not defined by any relationship to any other character. She is just the ultimate bad villain and the, the most powerful, supposedly most powerful person in this universe. Yeah, absolutely. I do think that, you know, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, and we did an episode of that, so go listen to that one. It doesn't have a good reputation as a movie. People don't like that movie, but I think her performance there is really great. And it's sort of building on a lot of inspirations, campy inspirations from Lot Linnea to other villains throughout the years. And I think here, what I like about her as Hela is that this, to me, seems she didn't actually draw on other movie characters or was inspired by other actors in the history of cinema, but she was more inspired by the comic book obviously, because this is a comic book movie. And so her work here is interesting to me because it is, I think, unlike other things she has done. Because sometimes you can see the references in her work, and here it is a unique character that she created. Yeah, and you know, like, we talked a little bit about that, but like, you know, the beauty of the, the MCU is that you get these prestige actors willing to wear ridiculous costumes and just have fun for a couple of days. You know what I mean? Like act and act a fool for a month, essentially. And, you know, Kate is a very award-winning actress, like multiple award-winning actress. To get her level of just talent on the screen to play a character that is a comic book character and get her in those horns and get her, even though those horns are CGI, but like get her <laughs> in those horns, like get her in the skin tight suit with the shoulders out, get her to do all these ridiculous things and play in like Taika's world. That's actually like very impressive. And that's like shows a lot about how she is someone who is very focused on the range and breadth of her work. Mm-hmm. And she did, I read an interview with her, which was very funny about why she took this role. And she said that, you know, she's usually asked to carry the emotional weight of films. And this time she just wanted to have fun with Taika. And I guess that's a great way why she took this role. Because, like, if she does, like, Blue Jasmine or Carol or Truth or all these other movies where she is doing so much emotionally. This, or she's playing Blanche Dubois on stage. This time she's just having fun. And I guess it was a fun experience for her to work with Taika. And I do hope maybe... 
if she doesn't come back to the th next store, that's fine. But maybe she and Tika can do something else in the future. I I hope so too. Like it seemed like she just had a ball, and like you know what I you know when you're when you're a queen of acting and you just want to take a break and just have a little fun. I'm so for it. Like go have some fun. Yeah, absolutely, and it is a fun performance. Um, and the movie is a lot of fun, and I think what we talked about sort of proved that. It's come to my attention that you don't know who I am. I am Hela, Odin's firstborn, the commander of the legions of Asgard, the rightful heir to the throne and the goddess of death. My father is dead. As are the princes, you're welcome. We were once the seat of absolute power in the cosmos. Our supremacy was unchallenged, yet Odin stopped at nine realms. Our destiny is to rule over all others. And I am here to restore that power. Kneel before me and rise into the ranks of my great conquest. Whoever you were, Whatever you've done, surrender now, or we will show you no mercy. Whoever I am, did you listen to a word I said? This is your last warning. I thought you'd be happy to see me. I just want to say Thor Ragnarok is a fantastic film, the best out of the Thor trilogy. We're about to go into a fourth Thor film for Love and Thunder. I don't think I if I, I don't remember where they have it on the slate currently for for when it's coming out, but I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to now Oscar winning Taika Waititi to get back into the driver's seat, like you know, really lean into this world that he's crafted. And yeah, I'm excited. Let's do it. Let's go back a little bit to the favorite Chris's. So we talked about Hemsworth, Spine, Evans, and we both agreed that our favorite is Messina. Correct. <laughs> so. Tell me about Chris Messina. Where do, where have you liked him and where have you loved him? Because I don't, you know, my problem with Chris Messina is always I think he's the best Chris, but I can't actually pinpoint one performance or one movie. Maybe the Mindy Kaling show is where he was at his best. What is it for you? Yeah, I, the first time I got really introduced to Chris Messina was the was Mindy Project. That's the first time I ever watched him, and I was like this very gruff dude who could dance very well and like has great, com again, great comedic timing. Yeah. He's very good looking. And then I realized that like, I've seen a lot of stuff that Chris Messina is in. I just didn't know it was Chris Messina. Right. Like you got Julie and Julia or oh, you yeah. have like, yeah, you know, like, or there was this other film that was called like the Tin Man or something like that, that he was in with Jenna Fisher, which I really enjoyed or 28 hotel rooms, which was this like very indie film that he did fantastic in. Obviously he's in Birds of Prey uh, playing Victor Zaz and like he's fantastic in that too and he fully leans in like this crazy character and so mm -hmm. yeah like I just I just think he is again a character that has shown a lot of range I think he is a character who has a lot of talent and I think he often is forgotten because he's immersed himself in a lot of different roles and you know oftentimes like films that you've seen uh, that you've liked nine times out of ten Christmas scene isn't it Loki <laughs> Yes, and he's in a lot of movies. I was just looking, over, and I, you know, he was in Sharp Objects, and he was so good yeah. with Amy Adams in that, which, you know, like you said, he was in Julie and Julia with her. And also, he's in this new season of what is it called, The Sinner on oh. USA. He's on that. 
And yeah, so he's always working. He's never not working. So Chris Messina, our love to you. You're our favorite, Chris. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I usually ask all my guests on the podcast about Kate Blanchett. And so do you remember what the what was the first time that you saw Kate in a movie? Yeah, my first time I saw Kate in a movie, I'm I'm definitely aging myself because I am a baby. I'm only 28. So a lot of her well-known films, like The Talented Mr. Ripley, uh, you know, like Elizabeth, I was under 10 years old, so I did yeah. not see those films. Uh, <laughs> but the first time I actually saw Kate on screen, I was just like, who is that? Is The Aviator. 2004 is The Aviator, mm. uh, the Howard Hughes biopic directed by Martin Scorsese, and she plays Katherine Hepburn. And she, when we talk about camp, oh. masterclass in camp. She is um, great in that film fantastic and i remember walking out of there being like yo who is that like who is that woman really killing it uh obviously you know we we know carol obviously she's been you know lord of the rings she's been in all these other different franchises but that's the that's the film i think when i think about like the talent of kate blanchett it's it's her as katherine hepburn in the aviator yeah it's a great performance and she won the oscar for it so absolutely what is your favorite performance of kate's can I just, I, I don't want to like cheat, but like her role in Catherine Hepburn is really good, guys. She's great. Um, That's a good choice. It's, really, it's, 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 it's a good choice, Joy. She won an Oscar for a reason. Also her role in Carol, fantastic also. But yeah, Catherine Hepburn, I was, you know what, like in preparation for this, this might be like distance bias because in preparation for the podcast, I would just rewatch clips on YouTube of her role as mm -hmm. Catherine Hepburn in The Aviator. And I was just like, wow, this is still as dynamic as it was when I remember seeing it. And I, so yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, it might be because I just watched the clips, but I'm going to say her role in Catherine Hepburn in The Aviator. Yeah. And you know what I love about The Aviator is one of my guests in the previous episode about Blue Jasmine, Matthew Eng, said that what he likes about Kate is that she's someone who is not a afraid of being caught acting. And in that movie, Katherine Hepburn is an icon. You can't not do the things that we are very familiar with Katherine Hepburn doing. And she, that to me is such a daunting task because she is exaggerating what Katherine Hepburn is doing. And at the same time, she's playing it campy, she's playing it big, she's doing the voice, she's doing the walk, she's doing everything. And this is where some people are turned off because this is not subtle work. It's in your face acting. And it's what I love about her performances, which includes Matt, Hela. Yeah, Matt, but Matt is spot on, right? Like, I think what's so dynamic about her role as Catherine in, in The Aviator is like, you get full, every, what you expect an uh, imitator to do of Catherine Hepburn Kate like leans into it, right? Mm -hmm. Like she fully leans into the voice. And when she first has the conversation with Howard Hughes and they're on the links and she was like, you know, you know, something about like Hollywood young boy. And then she does the ha ha ha. Like she does all of these <laughs> like weird moments and you're just like, oh, you're fully leaning into it. But as you're peeling back the layers throughout the film, as their relationship starts to crumble, right? Mm -hmm. And she starts becoming, you know, the hair starts becoming a little bit more dimmer and her makeup starts becoming a little bit more natural. It's no more of the red lip. Like she starts really not acting while still playing strips and bits and pieces of who Katherine Hepburn is. So she does like a deconstructing of her throughout the film. It's a marvel to watch. If you've yeah. never seen The Aviator, please watch it. Yeah. 
It's and it it's such a great performance. I agree with you that you know later on she starts showing you the person instead of the icon. Um, exactly. It's it's so beautiful. So let me ask you, who is your favorite Kate Blanchett scene partner? Ooh, Kate Blanchett scene partner. Damn, that's hard. Because <laughs> she's been <laughs> in like fifty goddamn movies. <laughs> she made so many. Yeah. She made so many. Ah. Damn, that's hard because again, she's okay. I'm gonna give her. I'm gonna say Rooney Mara and Carol. Mm-hmm. I think her. I think that is such a beautiful movie. I think that again, Rooney and Kate do a fantastic job. But you know, I'm always down for. I'm always down for like non traditional love stories because love stories are so are are extremely cliche and very tiring but i just think that their relationship worked so well together and so i'm gonna cheat and say i'm gonna say rooney mara rooney mara is a great answer and it is the most common answer but that's because they are fantastic together (laughs) yes yes so i don't feel bad about my cliche answer then (laughs) yes rooney mara and her and carol is fantastic again and another thing that i enjoy is that like kate as she's gotten older is another thing. Again, she's a leaner, like she leans in as an actress, right? Mm-hmm. But she, I think she, in her recent roles, really leans into her age and her being an older woman. And I love that she doesn't shy from it. She doesn't try to mask it. She picks roles that are, again, beyond range, but really lean into those age differences with some of her scene partners yeah. or really leads into the fact that she's an older villain in a, in a, like a Thor and you know, she's going to be in this, uh, this new show, Miss America on Hulu coming up soon. And you know, she's playing Link an older. Villain. <laughs> oh my God. Like so much. one of the most vile people ever. <laughs> So much. And I, but I mean, looking forward, I know she's going to make me mad because she's good at her job. So yeah. I know she's going to kick ass in the role. But again, yeah. like, I just, I love it. I, I love that, that difference in, in, in her being a seasoned woman in, in, in Carol. And I, I, I appreciate that with her relationship with Rooney Mara in the, in the film. So I'm going to say Rooney Mara. Yeah. So who would you like to see her work with? Who hasn't she worked with? I think is a better question. I mean, she's been she's been working for a long ass time. She has worked with a lot of people. It could be a repeat. Maybe somebody you've already liked her with. Uh, you know what? I'm gonna throw this randomly out there. I think D. Reeds would do a great job directing Rooney Mara, uh, directing Kate Blanchett. I, I want would a love drama. To see that. I would love a drama directed by D. Reeds with Kate Blanchett in it. Yes. Let's, Dee Reese, if you're listening, do that, please, for us. Yeah. The reason why I say that is that, like, Dee Reese does a fantastic job in Mudbound. And I think of a similar actress in terms of who leans into their roles, mm-hmm. Carrie Mulligan, in Amazing. that movie. So great. I think that is up Kate's wheelhouse. Dee Re- a Dee Reese directed film with Kate Blanchett. I'm in it. Yeah. I'm into it. I want to see it. Joy, that, this was a joy to talk to you about Thor and about Kate. Thank you so much for doing it. And Thank you. Why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you and your work? And you have a podcast that you just launched. So tell us Absolutely. about that too. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, you guys can follow me on uh, Twitter and Instagram at jumpforjoy, J-U-M-P-E-D-F-O-R-J-O-I with an I. I really tweet about films, usually bothering people in Prachata and <laughs> us talking about broader film Twitter shenanigans. That's what we do on there. I also did start a podcast called The Color Grade. Uh, the Color Grade is looking at uh, films from a diverse lens. Obviously, I am the host, so it's coming from my cishet black woman uh, perspective, but I have wonderful guests, uh, like folks like um, KB, folks like Trey Mangum, who's the deputy editor of Shadow and At, and we come and we play. We've done like our beta tests of a few episodes. I think we're at like, I think we're released like nine or 10 at this point, as you guys are listening. Uh, currently on Apple and Spotify, uh, all centering around films that premiered at Sundance. So yeah, please listen. Definitely listen to this podcast as well. It is a fantastic podcast. I love that it's so specific and nuanced to Kate Blanchett. And honestly, you can have this podcast running for a billion years because she's been in that much stuff, genuinely. She's, she's been in a lot of movies. Listen to The Color Grade. Thank you, Joy. You can find me on Twitter at M-E underscore says and follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Sundays with Kate. And until next time, thank you. 